Hello, this is Andrew Gamison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to another episode of the Speaking for Him podcast. We are continuing on today in our Five Solas of the Reformation series. Today we are talking about what it, how important it is to rest in Christ alone for our salvation. And I'm just really excited to share this uh, information with you. It's been an exciting and faith-building experience for me to go through this series and to be reminded of the basics of our Christian faith, and so I hope it has been a similar blessing to you as well. Um, I have a lot of great things to share with you today, so let's jump right into it as we talk about what is going on. All right, well, a day of great significance to me uh, was celebrated this past Monday. July 26th marked the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. This was a bill signed into law by President George H.W. Bush on July 26, 1990. And it's been very interesting for me to look back on the disability rights movement and realize what certain disabled Americans have done on my behalf and on the behalf of many others who come after me to give us the rights and the privileges that we have as disabled Americans. This civil rights battle kind of gets lost in the midst of the more visible civil rights battle, but it, it wasn't was and is about civil rights nonetheless. And so I'm excited to shed a little light on it. The first clip that I want to share with you is a little overview of how the Americans with Disability Act came to be. And this was actually recorded last year on the 30th anniversary. 1990. Nearly a decade after Section 504 protests, the stage was set to take it to the next level. Organizers such as Justin Dart and Yoshiko Dart met with activists in every state, rallying, organizing, protesting, ready to create what would become our own landmark civil rights legislation, the Americans with Disabilities Act. Over 30,000 activists across the nation attended forums and gave testimonies to draw attention to the discrimination disabled people in America still faced, hoping to push Congress to approve the ADA. Archival footage of protesters outside the Capitol in Washington, D.C. Congressman Major Owens and Justin Dart address the crowd. We are here today representing 43 million Americans with disabilities forced by massive discrimination to be this nation's most isolated, unemployed, impoverished, and welfare-dependent minority. As discriminatory barriers are eliminated, citizens with disabilities in America and in all nations will become producers, taxpayers, consumers, and participants in the full richness of their cultures. The power now is in the hands of the people here on this hill. 
What did it take to pass that law? Disability being disruptive. Washington, D.C., they climb out of their wheelchairs and they crawl up the steps of the United States Capitol. Footage of eight-year-old Jennifer Keelan Chaffins crawling up the stairs. A symbolic illustration of the obstacles that have been in our way for decades. Making that visceral, making that clear, we won't be left behind any longer. So just a couple thoughts about that clip. First of all, it was just exciting to see the effort that went into people um, lobbying for the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, preceding this were some pretty exciting things too, like students who were disabled lobbying to get into the University of California at Berkeley and actually going around town in Berkeley, California and breaking curbs so that they could get on and off of sidewalks. You you wouldn't think of a liberal bastion like California being the beginning of such a movement as this, but it, it is, and it was an exciting thing to learn about that even as a young boy and to learn um, some more about the efforts that were, again, put into place by people that came before me to make sure that I had the the rights to enjoy life the way I do right now. I, I will say this, though, that as with everything else that comes down the pike as far as civil rights, there's only so much that a legislation can do um, because we really need to change the hearts of people. And what I mean by that is there are ADA requirements for accessibility, um, you know, outlined in the legislation, but you can definitely see how people still often will do the, the minimum requirement. My brother Matthew actually did work on a high school and they were working on something to do with accessibility and he's like, this is really poorly done. My brother, who's in a wheelchair, would come in here and use it and it would break um, you need to redo it so that it's sturdier. And I really appreciated his sensitivity to that. And he actually had a front row seat of what it was like to grow up disabled because he walked alongside me for much of our childhood. He helped me with various things that I needed to. He traveled with me for various trips. And I've always been thankful to my brother Matthew and my other siblings for the effort that they put into not only to learning what it was to to deal with someone who is disabled but also just like I said walking the the everyday life you know I still sometimes struggle to find parking at different locations or have difficulty if someone parks in a van access space uh, right next to where I'm parked so I can't get my 
van out or my, my lift out so I can get into the van. And, you know, a while back, my dad was so fed up with this that he purchased three different stickers to put on my ramp door saying that a ramp has to come out of this door. Please don't park in front of us. And people still do it from time to time. Even, ironically, in somewhat empty parking lots. So as much as I'm excited about the Americans with Disabilities Act and the things that it has afforded, we still have a long way to go. Um, I heard a statistic not too long ago that the, the, the unemployment rate among the physically disabled is still around 80%. That might be combined with the underemployment rate. And so it, it might not be simply not having a job, but it, it might just be underemployed. Um, and I can relate to this because I have... Um, basically been underemployed for the past 15 years. I graduated from college in 2006, and I'm just now starting to approach the idea, hopefully this fall, of working full-time. We still have some issues um, to work out related to that, so I would covet your prayers as we continue to prepare for the coming school year. But this just gives you a little bit of a inside view of what it means to be a physically disabled person and how a lot of it is just letting people know this is what I'm dealing with because we still have a broken government system that is working in such a way as it would rather have me on full benefits than just allow me to leave my benefits behind and work as any red-blooded hard-working American wants to do. You know, I've said for years that the disability system would be a lot better if I could work on a sliding scale. Um, For instance, if you get X amount of dollars, if you're fully disabled, then if you can make $100 more, then your disability check should go down $100, so on and so forth, until you no longer need a disability check. But the way that it tends to work is that it's, either the full kit and caboodle or nothing. And that's not a good system under which we work. That, that This is why government benefits, by and large, are not a good way to go because there's so many catches when it comes to accepting government help. And so we really need to get back to a culture where we are helping each other as our neighbors, we are helping each other as our friends. Because whenever uh, the church or whenever the communities uh, fail in their responsibilities to one another, the government comes in and says, I'll take care of that. But the cost, uh, both um, financially and sometimes morally, can be very uh, devastating. And so we need to keep those things in perspective. The second clip that I want to share with you is also related to the ADA anniversary. I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised to find that uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris actually commemorated this event at the White House. And I'd like to play you some remarks by Vice President Harris and then comment on them. Well, July 26, 1990 was indeed an historic day. On that day, 
the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed into law. On that day, America became better because we know an accessible America is a better America. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Leader Kevin McCarthy, Chairman Pat Leahy, Senator Bob Casey, thank you all for your leadership. Stanny Hoyer, I'm getting to you in a second, <laughs> for being here today. Looking out, I see so many who helped make the ADA real. The activists who gave everything they had to fight for that bill. The advocates who helped to shape the bill title by title. The policymakers who worked tirelessly to pass it, including, of course, our own President, Joe Biden. House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, and Congressman Tony Coelho. Thank you all. Every day, in every community, lives of the American people are better because of the work you all did. When people can ride a bus because it has a lift, when they can enter a building because it has a ramp, when they can watch a movie with closed captions, when a student with a disability goes to school instead of discrimination gets support. That is the ADA in action. The ADA gives all Americans the opportunity to fully participate in our democracy, in our economy, and in our society. The ADA gives all Americans the opportunity to determine their own future. Self-determination, which I believe the government must facilitate. That is the impact of the ADA. And after all, the promise of America. I want to point out a couple things about this clip. First of all, she said that the ADA allows for all Americans to participate in the promise of America, which I totally agree with. And I, I think, I, I think it's kind of ironic given the hate for America that has come from the left that she's actually saying in this clip, um, that, that loving that um, that America is a place where everyone can succeed and that the ADA helps facilitate that, that self-determination should determine your success. I think that's great that she said that at this, at this statement about the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's, it's extremely great. And I, I really think that should color the way we look at the rest of society as well. You know, when I have been discriminated against in employment and other areas of my life as a disabled person, I don't blame the country that I live in. I blame the individual 
that does the discrimination. And so I think that's an important thing. And I hope that she thinks about the statements that she made in regard to the American Disabilities Act and applies them to America as a whole because America is a place where you can come and you can achieve by self-determination. And of course, as a believer in Jesus, I believe that Jesus is the one that helps us to achieve success. But in a general sense, she's exactly right. The promise of America isn't that you will come and become wealthy and rich and have every success in the world. The promise of America is that you can come here and put in the hard work and become successful. Even though I have been underemployed, even though I've been on the low end of the income spectrum my whole life, I don't want anybody coming in and telling me what my ceiling is for how much I can earn and how much success I can have in this country. So I I really hope, like I said, that Vice President Harris heeds her own words and realizes that what she is saying about disabled Americans is true about black Americans, is true about white Americans, is true about Asian Americans, is true about every American who comes onto our shores. We have the same chance for success. We have the same starting place for success in a sense. We all have obstacles, but we all have the same opportunity to come here and make a success of ourselves. But we're not all going to have the same outcome. And I think that's an important distinction. And again, uh, like I said, I was really heartened by these comments. That's why I share them with you today. I did want to mention one thing uh, that kind of bothered me about that clip, and that is that she never mentioned uh, George H.W. Bush, who actually signed the bill into law. The final clip that I want to share with you today is one that actually was recorded in 1969, but it kind of feels like it was ripped from today's headlines. And this is a clip uh, by a man whose name is G. Edward Griffin. As early as 1928, the communists declared that the racial differences among our people constituted the weakest and most vulnerable point in our social fabric. By constantly probing and straining at this one spot, they calculated that eventually the cloth could be torn apart and that Americans could be divided, weakened, and perhaps even set against each other in open combat. We mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that the communists have placed their agitators only into the black communities. They're working both sides of the street. They want hatred, violence, and bloodshed between the races, and they don't care how they get it or whom they use, even children if necessary. Here is a book that I think ought to be in every home library. It's entitled Color, Communism, and Common Sense by Manning Johnson. He joined the party as a young man because he honestly believed that the communists were trying to improve the conditions of his people. He was a dedicated communist, and eventually he rose to one of the highest ranks. But after many years, he discovered that instead they were merely planning to use his people in a bloody revolution to destroy America. And when he woke up to this, he dropped out of the party 
and devoted the rest of his life trying to alert his fellow citizens of all races to the true nature of the Communist Party as he knew it to be from the inside. Now, here is a piece of vicious Communist propaganda that perhaps some of you have seen. It's called The Crusader. It's written by Robert F. Williams, one of the organizers of the Revolutionary Action Movement. In this issue of The Crusader, the Communists call not only for extensive chaos within the cities, but for putting to the torch every village, every forest, every field, and every barn. The plan is for raging fires from one city to the next. The reason? Well, first, there's the value of sheer destruction. Secondly, it would force us to deploy our defenses and rescue units over the widest possible area. The Communists point out that as long as our police and National Guard remain concentrated, they're invincible. But if they can be forced to spread out over the entire city and into the countryside as well, then they can be picked off from ambush one by one. Now, this full clip is about eight minutes long, so obviously I'm not playing the whole clip here, but I just wanted to point out two different things that are said in this video from 1969 that really seem to reflect today's society. The first thing he talked about was that one of the communists' main goals was to have the races fighting one another, to have them divided by race, uh, because then you could pull at the fabric of America. Why? Because the whole idea of America is that we would come together united. We came from many different countries. Most of us have immigrants in our family tree, and they came with one goal, to become American and to pursue the American dream of religious and economic freedom that can't be found anywhere else in the world. And that's what we came for. And the people that I know that are American citizens that came from other countries they love this country. They made a conscious decision to become American citizens because they wanted better for themselves. And that is something that I think we need to remember. And the second thing that he mentioned there that I thought was pulled from today's headlines was the splitting up of the police force or of our law enforcement because if if you're if if we're concentrated on one area if we're unified then we're strong and hard to beat but if you divide us if you start trouble at various places all at the same time and you wear us thin then you can gain a foothold and i'm not one to call conspiracy theory it's very it's very important to me to to keep a balanced view. I I don't like it when people go directly to the comparisons of the way things are happening to Hitler. I think that that often is is a cheap way to go about discussing these things. But I think it's important for us to note that socialism leads to communism. Why does that happen? Because what what the socialists or the democratic socialists of today want you to believe is that if you just follow their pattern, then everybody will be treated equally. That's what they claim. But the problem with this thought is that there are many rich white liberals 
who would not want anybody to touch their money, but they want to tell you that you can't earn your own money, that it's unfair for you to earn money. And yes, I do believe that there are rich elitists on both sides, so please don't get me wrong. But the ultimate difference between America and other countries is that anyone can succeed if they work hard enough. If you allow yourself to give in to socialist ideology, the rich will stay rich, the elite will stay elite, then you will still make money, they will still lord it over you, but you will be caught in a system whereby you can only go as far as the government says that you will. The Founding Fathers said that this was a government for the people, of the people, and by the people. Abraham Lincoln echoed this in the Gettysburg Address. So it is very important for us to care that this continues. Yes, where we see wrongs, they should be worked to be righted. But we must not manufacture them out of whole cloth. See, what I see a lot of today is somebody comes along, comes upon something in their quest to find things to be offended by. They come upon something and they say, people should be offended by this. And then they go to the people that should be offended and they're like, oh, I didn't realize I should be offended by this. And so then they come out as if they're offended by something that never offended them before. And I don't think that's the right approach. As I said, if there is something that comes along and somebody says, I am personally offended by this, then I'm willing to have the discussion about why they are offended. But if you simply just say to somebody else, you should be offended by this and you and you can constantly pressure them to be offended, and they're finally offended, that doesn't make the action inherently offensive. And we need to get back to the place, or if we've never been in that place, to the place in the first time, where we are able to disagree without being offended, or where we're able to be offended to a degree and still say that these things are worthy of discussion. All right, well, today we are talking about Sola Christos, or Christ Alone. And I'm very excited, as I said, to discuss this topic with you. Let's get started with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day today comes from Pastor J.C. Ryle, who says, In Christ alone, God's rich provision of salvation for sinners is treasured up. By Christ alone, God's abundance mercies come down from heaven to earth. Christ's blood alone can cleanse us. Christ's righteousness alone can cleanse us. 
Christ's merit alone can give us a title in heaven. Jews and Gentiles, learned and unlearned, kings and poor men, all alike, must either be saved by the Lord Jesus or lost forever. So I like this quote in so many ways, but I want you to consider a couple different things about it. First of all, it says, Jews and Gentiles, learned and unlearned, kings and poor men, all alike. So God puts us all in the same category at the foot of the cross. And, you know, it's a recurring theme through this whole series, but it's worth repeating. I think that the the racism or the the cries of inequality um, that are going on in our culture today would be quieted if we would just all meet at the foot of the cross and realize that God regards each of us equally. And then he says, you have two choices in life, either be saved by the Lord Jesus or lost forever. And the world doesn't like that. The world, the world's most favorite phrase today is, I'm living my truth. And it's really sad because once somebody talks about their truth, you can't talk to them about moral absolutes. Once we've all decided to have our own truth, there's no basis on which to judge truth because we've all decided we have our own barometer. But the only way to live a real, godly, and successful life is to have a moral barometer for what the truth is. And as believers in Jesus, we find that in the Word of God. So today, as we dig into the Word of God, we're going to talk about what it means to trust Christ alone for salvation. The first thing I want to point out in this regard is that Christ is a promise kept. In Galatians 4, 4-7 we read, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And that's Galatians 4, 4-7. to And if we look at this passage, of course we know that he is speaking of both men and women. Remember, at, when it comes to coming to God, there is no male or female anymore. There's no division of Jew and Gentile, no division of barbarian and Scythian. We're all equal in the eyes of God. And... Um, Jesus is a promise kept because God told Adam and Eve that there would be a redemption plan. He outlined a little bit of it in the garden. He said that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head, and indeed Jesus has done that. And Paul talking about how deliberate God is by saying, after the fullness of time, God had a plan for when Jesus would come into the world, and he came after the fullness of time. The second point I want to point out is that Christ is given to all people. And this is in Luke 2:10 and 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And again, that's Luke 2, 10, and 11. And this is a very familiar passage, but I don't think we stop to consider it as much as we should because we're so familiar with it. And when the angels are coming to the shepherds, they say this, first of all, fear not. Now, I've never uh, looked this up to be completely sure, but I've heard that uh, Jesus, that God tells us to fear not at least 365 times in the Bible. Very important uh, admonition for us to fear not, especially as we go through what we consider scary times, either personally or as a country. And then he says, For I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I always appreciate the word all, because then there's no question, well, does it mean these people? Does it mean those people? It means all. Even people we don't like. I'm pretty sure no one expected Saul of Tarsus to come under the sound of the Lord Jesus and to surrender his life to the one true God and and to become a follower of the way. Nobody expected that, but that's what God did. Because no one is fully beyond the pale of God's grace. Peter said about Jesus that he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Does he know that certain people won't? Absolutely, because he knows all. But his desire is that we would be in heaven with him, having repented of our sins and taken upon us the righteousness of God, which was extended to us at the cross. The third thing is Christ gives us access to God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So there's only one person that I need to go to to get access to God, and that is Jesus. No man can be my mediator between God and myself. But Jesus has already taken the mantle of mediator due to the fact that he has died on the cross for my sins. So that when the accuser of the brother and the devil says, look at what Andrew did, he's such a sinner. Jesus can stand up in front of God the Father on my behalf and say, I paid for that sin. And I am so grateful for that. And then the, I, I included verse 6, which does not usually get included when we discuss verse 5, but I included verse 6 because I thought it was good that it reiterates the fact that we've already talked about, that he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Again, talking about the timing of the Lord and how he provided for the ransom of all mankind. You know, a lot of people say, well, um, God just rejects people and 
that's his his mode, and they they wouldn't want to serve a god that would reject somebody. But people ultimately do not go to hell because God rejected them. They go to hell because they reject Christ. You know, I used to think about the question, why would God send people to hell? And I would say, well, it's because of their sin that he sends people to hell. But I had a revelation about five years ago, or maybe a little longer, that God doesn't actually send anyone to hell. He died so that you don't have to go there. But people choose to reject him, and so they sentence themselves to hell. Remember, Jesus said, Fear not him that can kill the body. Instead, fear him that can cast body and soul into hell. And so it's very important for us to have a proper perspective on these things. The devil wants to cast you, body and soul, into hell. He deceives you into thinking that he can help you live the good life, but he wants to destroy. In John chapter 10, he says, the devil comes but for to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So those are the choices that we have, either to be destroyed by the devil or to be given abundant life by Jesus. The next point is that Christ is the only way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it really is a symbiotic relationship because Jesus also said, no one comes to me except for the Heavenly Father draws them. So these unique parts of the single Godhead work in a symbiotic relationship to draw all men to each other in a way that is impossible for us to understand on a finite level. But Christ makes it clear, I'm the only way to salvation. You know, people people will sometimes say, well, you can believe whatever you want to believe as long as it's sincere. And there's this whole coexist campaign and there's coexist bumper stickers like we can all just get along regardless of how we believe. And there's a certain uh, degree of truth to that because we're supposed to live at peace with all men as much as lieth with us. But we also, as a body of believers, have a responsibility to go forth into the world and to tell them the truth. We were, we were given a command when Jesus left this earth. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel unto every nation teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So these are commands of Christ. He wants us to share them with others, and we can't use the excuse of wanting to coexist as an excuse not to share the truth. The reality is that 
the basis of Christianity is that it's exclusive. The basis of Christianity is that Jesus is the only way. If Jesus isn't the only way, there's no point to Christianity. And if you think about it this way, most religions, even some that consider themselves Christian, are based on the fact that if I work hard enough, I can get to God. But Christianity was based on the fact that I can't work hard enough to get to God. So while I was yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's why I'm able to be here. That's why I'm able to share this podcast with you. Because I don't have the strength in myself. And then this next one is very encouraging to me. Christ never changes. You know, there are many things in life that change. Technology changes. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I didn't even know that podcasting existed. You know, it's it's a great medium to be able to uh, basically make a radio show and, and distribute it on the internet where anybody can listen to it at any time on demand. And also with the equipment advances, even since I've done this podcast where I can do it from my home instead of a radio station and have similar uh, results in the quality. Those are changes that have occurred. But one thing that never changes is the gospel. And it says in Hebrews 13, 8 and 9, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today forever, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So there's a lot of minor things in the scripture that we can become obsessed with. Paul addresses this um, in his epistles when he talks about some regard one day over another. Some people eat meat offered to idols, others do not. Um, but he said the important thing is Christ, and Christ never changes. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Don't try to attain salvation by, just as one example, eating um, more clean meat. Now, does that mean that clean meat and a kosher diet might not have health benefits related to it? No, it could very well have health benefits related to it. But There's no eternal profit in saying, I'm going to eat this way, and that makes me superior to you. So it's just a reminder to us that Jesus Christ, the basis of our salvation, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. I came to Christ because of faith in his blood and his sacrifice. It's the same way that Charles Haddon Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis and John Bunyan came to faith in Jesus Christ. Even though they were alive hundreds of years before me. Because the way to salvation has not changed. Jesus is the way, he was the way, and he will be the way. He transcends time. 
So I I hope that these thoughts have encouraged you. Let me just review real quick. Uh, Christ is a promise kept. Christ is given to all people. Christ gives us access to God. Christ is the only way. And Christ never changes. I hope that you can use this podcast and the information shared therein to encourage your family and friends in their walk with the Lord, but also to engage effectively with unbelievers and just share with them. I I don't share this with you because I'm perfect. I share this with you because I'm imperfect and I realized my need for God and he changed my life from the inside out. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's what I want for you is to become new in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.